1: Welcome to the sports biz pod where we release two episodes per week on Tuesday featuring Avery with an athlete entrepreneur or thought leader in sports and entertainment and on Friday featuring a rundown with special guests to provide commentary on sports biz news events careers and more on this episode we're excited to bring on Tim Greenberg the chief community officer at the World Surf League based in Venice California We did this episode a few months ago on a LinkedIn live stream. And Tim has a great background about growing the World Surf League and their social and content and community to where it is today. Please enjoy this episode. And if you haven't already, go like, subscribe, and give us a five-star review wherever you consume podcasts. Thank you and enjoy.
2: But I appreciate you coming on.
0: Easy, yeah, happy to be here. And uh, it says you're in New York. We're in sunny California, so I know. <laughs> so it's not, not too bad out here right now, and, and the waves are good. So we're, we're all pretty pretty happy at the office today.
2: Nice. Did you get your, uh, your morning surf in
0: today already? Uh, I did. Yeah. So, uh typically every morning about half the office here, at the World Surf League does surf and we organize groups that go out either right in front of our office here in Santa Monica or uh we all live, you know, up and down the coast. So, I live in Venice and uh, I surf out front majority of my days. So, yeah, it's not 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 too bad. We we have a pretty good out here in Santa
2: Monica. How, have you been like surfing your whole life or did you like pick it up later on? So, I uh I I live fairly close to the beach my entire life.
0: Uh, Growing up in Delaware, uh, you know, we're about an hour drive down to the coast. So we grew up going to the ocean as much as you possibly could. Um, But I really started picking up surfing right around 17, 18 and and into college. Uh, I went to school at Syracuse, so not a whole lot of surf up to So I uh, actually spent all of my summers out in California interning and got really into it then. So, lifelong beachgoer, a little bit later on the surfing side, typically most surfers um, around the globe. And that's changing, you know, and I can talk a little bit about that, but typically start around 12, 11, you know, a little bit younger. So, I'm on the later side, I guess you would say, but still in my teens, I started getting pretty serious. Um, and yeah, I've been living in, in LA for about 12 years now, surfing every day out here. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's a passion. It's my, it's my job and I'm really lucky to get to do it every day.
2: That's amazing. So when, when you're surfing, are you like, are you doing it as a kind of like a workout or is it like more of like you're trying to train for a competition or anything in particular? No, so
0: I, I've never put on a competition jersey in my life, and I've never surfed competitively in my life. I think that there's, uh, I think actually everyone who works in surfing, especially at our sport, should probably, you know, at least try to enter one competition. No matter how good or bad you are, just to experience the, the competitive side. But uh, we do these really fun little um, uh, heats out front where we, we get together and we self-judge. But no, we, we, I have never competitively surfed. I was a college athlete, uh, but in lacrosse, that, that's how uh, that's right. that, yeah, that, that's um, I, I spent some time playing at Syracuse. And yeah, so surfing has always been a hobby. A little bit of a workout. I think you do get good exercise. you you spend some time in the water, work out those muscles that don't necessarily get the attention doing other um, exercises. Um, but it's more of a, a mental break. you know, you spend some time in the ocean if it's you know five minutes, thirty minutes an hour. Uh, every morning it's it's very it's very cathartic. It has a, a calming effect and there's something about you know engaging in that activity in the morning. I think if you swim too you have a similar feel um that's really helpful for, for especially in a in a in an environment where you know we have a lot of a lot of opportunity and we have a lot of business going on. So to take a mental
2: break in the mornings is pretty important. That's amazing. So um for someone like me in New York where like I've I've been in the ocean like, you know, every year. I I don't know if I've actually, like, surfed, like, successively. I've tried or I've done, like, boogie boarding. But it's, like, from my perspective, I think it's an amazing sport. I watch it. I engage. But I'm, like, for me to partake, it seems like there's barriers, at least for being in New York. But, like, what's your kind of viewpoint or, like, how do you um, envision it being more accessible to people or or what are some initiatives that you guys have going on to, like, help, you know, people that have not participated to, like, drive that, that, um, you know, that involvement? So, number one, Nick, you're
0: always welcome to come surfing whenever you want out in California. So, you know, you have the open invitation, so um, that's always on the table. There's actually really good surf in New York. Um, So out in Long Beach in the Rockaways and then all the way out to Montauk, um, there's some incredible uh, waves. We actually had a competition the first time since 2011, I believe. Um, We had an event in Long Beach. Uh, It was a longboarding event. It happened this year. And we're really excited to be bringing surfing, you know, not necessarily back to the East Coast because it's always been there, but having a surfing competition sanctioned by the WSL um, outside of some of our, our uh, you know QS events—that is, you know, bringing it back to the state. I think it's a really cool opportunity. So uh, you're subway, subway right away from from getting out there. It's not too no, so far. It's just the it's a matter of how cold you want to go. That's really that's really the challenge. Um, but on the WSL side, we're doing a lot. I think that participation. Well, I know that participation it's a participation sport. it's It's aspirational, but there's a whole side to um our environment where you you really want to be building up the the participa- participation layer of engaging and talking to um, individuals who are interested, but also providing that foundational support. So we have a program called Rising Tides. Um we run this at every event site. It's right now, it's primarily focused on uh, young women. So getting them out on the water and having them interact with their favorite pros. It's been a really cool program run internally through the WSL and through our tours and commissioners office, uh so our tours and competitions office uh through Jesse Miley Dyer. And it's been awesome. The response is amazing. The athletes love getting out there and spending time um with these grommets, which in our world means uh young surfers and it's it's an opportunity for no matter what your skill level, just to have that interaction um with your favorite athlete or an athlete you may not know about is that's transformational. There's some data to support that you know if you go to an event, a sporting event with your family, with your father or mother, when you're young, you are much more likely to be a fan of that sport when you when you get older. So for us, we really want to create an environment where it's not just about the competition, it's about building community. and I think that having these moments these programs these opportunities for that layer of you know athlete fan to just be completely dissolved because sport surfing is a sport unlike i guess most where you probably wouldn't see lebron james you know down at the local basketball court you know shooting around like that just <laughs> probably wouldn't happen but you will if you go down to certain beaches in california and brazil and and across the globe actually see your favorite athletes in the water enjoying the sport that they love outside of competition. So it's this, it, it always has been this really cool thing about our sport where it isn't really about us and them. It's one big community and you have the opportunity to engage with these athletes. Um, outside of rising tides, we're going to be building up these programs across uh, the globe. I think that partnering with um, other organizations that are doing a great job you know, there's so many amazing surf schools out in the world that looking to support and and not necessarily from a uh, a monetary perspective, but also just elevating the awesome work that's happening across the globe. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. And you know, surfing's tough. Like there is a there is a there is a you know a learning curve that's pretty steep to get involved. But that said, you can have fun the first day you go surfing, no matter what. I, I think that that's the the thing that we try to you know really lean into is that. Yeah, you will take years and years for you to become an expert, potentially. But you can have fun as soon as you go out in the water, um, and mm-hmm. you see that across the faces of people, um, you know, who go and experience it for the first time from our facility in Lemoore to uh, to Brazil. It's uh, it's a really great way to spend the day.
2: So we'll get it's you amazing. out there. I, I need to. I'll I'll definitely you can book me uh, bookmark me for that. Um, cool. So I kind of want to like break down what the World Surfing World Surf League is exactly where it's like. Kind of comparing it to, let's say, like the NBA, it's like the governing body for basketball and like the highest level, same thing with football. Can you kind of like break down like exactly what World Surf League does and it's like the mission and kind of like the, you know, things that you guys focus on the core of. And then I kind of want to hear a little bit more about like what your personal, um you know, mission and, and drive is for the, the chief community officer.
0: Yeah. So, um you know, backing way out, professional surfing has been in existence for, Roughly 40 years. You know, we have been around, we've been running events and, you know, the, the history and legacy of the sport was one that um, it was actually started by the surfers themselves, you know, back in, in the North Shore of Hawaii. And the idea was that this group of individuals who were excellent at what they did came together to actually crown a world champion for the first time. Um, back in 1976. Um, Since then, it's gone through uh, several different iterations, several different ownership uh, groups. And for the majority of its history, it was a a nonprofit organization that was focused on sanctioning events. And really what that means is that um, we would crown world champions, provide judges, provide the point system so that we could say one person or two people um, uh, in the world are the best at what they did this year um you know we've traveled to some of the most exotic places in the world we've gone to more uh you know urban locations where we've held events but throughout the history the core of it was let's get our surfers in the best waves possible at the best moment possible to provide them with an opportunity to at the end of the year say i was i was number 1 so the WSL in its current form uh was We began about seven years ago. Um, It was originally founded as the ASP, which is the Association of Surfing Professionals. And when new ownership came on board, uh, we recognized that there was a huge opportunity to centralize everything under one house. Uh, Before the WSL, ASP, all of the individual endemic brands, so Hurley, Rip Curl, um, the like, they all own the individual events, and the ASP was the sanctioning body. So... There was no central leadership and every event looked and felt different. There was no central broadcast. So the idea was to bring everything internal and then from end to end, from the the competition on the beach to the delivery system at home, we wanted to be involved in that entire process. So it took us about five years to really, you know, get the professionalization of the sport from a broadcast perspective, um, in a really good place. And we have an amazing team here. What they do on the ground, um, you know, broadcasting from a location like Tahiti, uh, you know, is absolutely incredible with absolutely no stream delays, no latency is, is amazing. And that's a whole separate podcast that I think you should probably look into is <laughs> the technology around how we deliver off the beach is, is amazing. And I'm not qualified to even speak about how we do it. I know there's a lot of really smart people in our company, far smarter than I, that are that are handling it on a daily basis. But really what the WSL right now is, is we are modeled much like f1 where there is a point system and a leaderboard that is calculated over the course of the year where we crown uh, a, a champion for the men and champion for the women and that is played out over the course of 11 to 12 events um depending on the year and some of those locations do overlap where the men and women serve the same waves some of them do um do move away and yeah, it's, it's an incredible tour. It is, it is really nice. I, I was actually one of our employees right now is in Hawaii. He's been there for about four weeks so far. So uh, we end our, our events there. So it's, um, it's, it's right now we're in the process of you know, adding on more components. So we primarily do crown world champions. That's what we do. Um, but we're also looking at expanding our content offering. Um, competitive surfing is just one aspect of the sport. Their surfing represents a very wide range of disciplines, a very wide range of skill sets, a very wide range of um, interests. So at the WSL, we are looking at trying to provide content to provide um, you know, new products like the Longboard Tour uh, or revamp products like the Longboard Tour to open up the aperture around surfing and provide um, you know, more content for people that might be interested in something a little bit different than uh, what our incredible surfers do on the championship tour on a, an event by event basis. But yeah, at the end of the year, we, we do Crown World Champion. That's what we're at across uh, Big Wave, um, across Longboard, championship tour and then we also run the qualification series which is uh and the best way to describe this is the minor leagues for surfing so we need to provide a pathway to actually get on to the big stage and we do run that as well um we have about and and don't quote me on this because it's uh it's changing daily because we have new partners coming on board but we run about 200 events a year across the globe Um, so at any given point, there is live surfing or a surfing competition happening somewhere in the globe, um, which is, which is amazing. And we have about 2,500 athletes that live in our ecosystem. There are, um, you know, our highest tier athletes that are on championship tour, from, uh, from the competitive level, we have our big wave athletes, um, which are doing stuff that is much different than the championship tour um, and much more accessible to a wider audience. And then you have the people that are just trying to um, make the tour, which is in itself, it's a grind and there's a lot of opportunity and they do go to some incredible places as well. So, yeah, you know, that's that's the overview of what we're trying to do here. Um, we stream all of our events live through our own platform. So. Because of surfing's, uh, you know, I'm going to say opportunities because I think it is an opportunity. We do have some uh, difficulties around scheduling our events. So we wake up every day, we look at the ocean, uh, we look at the wind, and we say, are we going to go? And because of that, we've had to really do it ourselves. So when I mentioned that the ownership group came on and purchased the league and and really consolidated everything under one house, what we really intended to do was create an ecosystem for when we're live, you know exactly where to find it. It's through the WSL. It's through our, our suite of apps. It's through everything that we're producing so that, um, you know, we may not know exactly when we're going to run within a two week window, but you know exactly where you can find it. And that's mm-hmm. been really important for us to consolidate that home for for pro surfing. Um, yeah. And outside of that, I think, uh, I think the stuff we're doing in, in content and media is really interesting. And, and I love to chat more about that as well. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been really interesting and awesome to see that Eric Logan, our new president of content, who came over from Workers Network, um, what he's doing now about building an ecosystem. And we just had a huge announcement yesterday um, at a show on ABC in the U.S., Um, called Ultimate Surfer, which will um, be airing sometime in 2020. Um, Yeah, these types of partnerships with, you know, media entities outside of ourselves and outside of the core are really important to help grow the sport and grow visibility. Um, Mm -hmm. And the one thing I didn't mention is the Olympics. So we have been crowning world champions for, you know, 40 years. Um, Next year is an Olympic year. This is the first year that surfing is going to be an Olympic. So we're, uh, we're actually changed our schedule to allow for our surfers to go out and, and do that. And we qualify 18 of the uh, 40 athletes that, uh, that are going to be surfing in 2020. So it's uh it's a huge, huge time for us. It's incredible. So we're, uh we're doing a lot, but it's, uh, it's functioning, functions a lot like the F1. If you actually look at our structure, um F1 is probably the closest model, um, individual athletes, teams, and then you have like, you know, you have Mercedes and, and Ferrari. Um, our athletes have Hurley and Quicksilver, um, and then we're the sanctioning body and governing body that that ultimately um, runs the events and then provides a world
2: champion. That's amazing. And um, kind of on the Olympic part, uh, we actually had a question come in uh, from Eric, and uh, I kind of want to like you might have answered it a little bit but so uh whether it is i'm going to read it out thoughts on uh, sport of surfing joining the ranks of tokyo olympics next summer and then what impact uh that that you might see from a promotion standpoint um in the community so like um if you could kind of like touch back on the Olympics standpoint like that's 100 percent happening is, is that correct or and then how do you guys kind of promote it as the sanctioning body
0: yeah it's a it's 100 happening and the ISA, which is the uh, this they're the governing body for uh, for the Olympics um, in surfing. so International surfing Association. and Fernando, who runs that organization, has been working tirelessly for a number of years um, to actually get surfing recognized as an Olympic sport. If you go back wow. about a hundred years, surfing, um, originally Duke Kahanamoku, who is a legendary figure in our sport, and also, he was an Olympic gold medalist in swimming he was back back then he was actually evangelizing and trying to get surfing as an Olympic sport a hundred years ago so we're actually seeing that you know next year um, officially as a as a sport in the Olympics we're realizing Duke's dream and that and that is an incredible thing and, and thank you to the ISA for all their hard work on on making this happen um, what was really important is that we partnered with the ISA and ensured that you know the the athletes that were going to be competing um, on our tour had a chance to be, to be eligible and qualify. So um, we worked closely with them on the structure and qualification and ultimately came up with a system where 18 surfers qualify through our rankings at the end of the year. The way that that works is that two athletes per country um, will qualify um, up into uh, a certain number of athletes of the 18. At that point, the remaining athletes will be qualified through the ISA and their um, events they have um, running the Pan Am games, the world games. Um, and this gives opportunity for WSL surfers and then also surfers from other parts of the world to have an opportunity to compete at the world stage. So it's a really cool system. And I think, we, I think we're going to get some of the, the best athletes in the world out there. And, and it's definitely going to be a show. Um mm-hmm. so it's definitely happening number one number two is that I think the best thing we can be doing as a, as a league is really this is the athletes moment this is this is the moment for the athletes to uh who have been you know doing incredibly hard work on our side and um living and breathing the sport traveling around the globe to be on the world stage so what we want to be doing as the league is partnering with these athletes with their managers with their agents um, with the brands that represent them, and really just trying to put a plan in place where we can be as helpful as we possibly can. So we know this is a massive moment for the sport, um, but it's also a massive moment for the athletes that will be qualifying uh, to compete. So uh, that's the approach we're taking. And, you know, I think that... <laughs> If you look at it this way, if, if, you know, one of our athletes competes at the world stage, they have an amazing Chloe Kim moment, right? That mm-hmm. moment that transcends and, you know, become an international celebrity in their own right, outside of just surfing. Um, you know, it is, it, it's a moment that we wanna make sure that we're there to help, you know, develop that net at the end of that process so that they can go see that athlete compete um, on our tour following the Olympics because Olympics is every four years. You know, we have events running, as I said, you know, about nine months of the year we have events running for the championship tour so yeah for us it's really about empowering the athletes
2: and helping them along the journey it's uh it's their moment and and we're here to help Mm -hmm. that's amazing um we actually had another question come in that's kind of like in line with that and for everyone that's tuning in if you guys wanted to um give us a like or drop a comment with any question you have and we'll, we'll get to that but um we have a question from will and he was Kind of based off what you're saying is like capturing that moment, especially in the Olympic level, um, from a content standpoint, like how do you guys um, utilize social media for real time content to like engage fans? And I think especially with the Olympics, it's like such a moment for all of the league and also for the sport and for the athletes. Like anything you're doing, particularly, I know you guys have a great Instagram. Um, but what any strategy with uh, the real-time content uh, during during the matches? Yeah, so
0: taking the Olympics out of it because there are some uh, there are some you know things we're working through um, around you know what we can and can't do, especially during the 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 uh, blackout window. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, the athletes will be there and we're going to be there to support as much as we possibly can. And it's important that we help tell their stories through their channels. Um, someone who's a fan of John John Florence, who is one of our, our top athletes um, and, and is in competition right now to actually qualify for the Olympics going into uh, the last event of the year. He's, uh, it's Kelly Slater, who's 11 time world champion and John John Florence who are going to be going head-to-head for that uh, final Olympic spot. So it's a pretty cool story going into uh, the final event of the year at the Billabong Pipe Masters, which starts on December 8th. Um, Outside of the Olympics, you know, we and my team specifically, um, so probably worth actually noting what my title means and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. what I actually do at the World Surf League. Um, So I've been at the company for seven years. Uh, I started as a social media manager. So I ran social by myself uh, for the league for about three years. Um, You know, traveled across the globe, really tried to invest a lot of time and energy in building our channels. Um, And the mantra that we came up with pretty early on is that great content programmed consistently over time, you will yield results. Like you have to be as consistent as you possibly can, um, and we never want to put anything out there that we don't fully believe in. So that's been our mantra and our ethos that we've lived by. As we started adding on new team members, we started to expand our our group. Um, now we have three people that work on social, which is which is still it's not a lot, but we're we're a small scrappy team. Um, and the way that we approach it is in three phases. We have an awareness phase leading into an event where we try to generate as much interest as we possibly can using archival footage. This is not too dissimilar to other, other uh, ways that people market. I guess the difference is for us is that um, we have access and we own all of our content. So we can go pull from our server downstairs which really has 40 years of pro surfing sitting on and I can go grab X piece of content, um, you know, either red footage or, or not and create content, um, at scale efficiently and fast so that my team here is able to, to do what they do. Um, even if, you know, they're a bit decentralized. So we have an awareness phase that lasts about two weeks. And the goal there is to just, you know, talk about the stories that are going into the event, you know, create content that has some franchise and format to it. Um, you know, five years of tens, you know, 10 point ride being the best you can get um, on a single wave in our in our competitions. Um, you know, these franchises are important just to help frame up the content you're seeing. Um, at the same time, we wanna lean into athlete personalities. The really cool thing about our sport is that about 60% of the content we post actually isn't from us. So our athletes are out mm. creating their own content. So we are really lucky that they have embedded filmers, they have someone watching them as they as they go and free surf, which really means not competition surfing. Um, and they're now getting into personality driven content. So some of the best performing stuff we have, either leading into or during a competition, is that that moment behind the scenes with a cell phone, with them being you know themselves. So we are able through our relationships and through the um, I think through the the effort and time we put into building a. An aggregated, engaged audience. You know, we get access to that content, and uh, people are willing to share it, which is which is amazing. And we love to we love to hear the feedback from the community. So that's one piece of it. Is actually looking what the athletes are up to heading into the events, and then as we go into the event, things completely shift. Um, we have a team. We always have one person here at the office um, or at home who is monitoring in real time what's going on and able to clip content and push it out on social in real time. Um, we always have someone on the ground, one or two people who are capturing content in real time, servicing our partners, um, behind the scenes personality, just really ensuring that we know what's going on. Another big piece of that is actually the call. Like this morning, we're in Hawaii for the, for the Hawaiian Pro and you know the call was delayed an hour because the conditions weren't right. So we don't mm-hmm. know if we're gonna be running today, but we need someone on the ground who's communicating back and forth to us so that we get that, those, those updates. Um, once you start to get into clipping that content, Uh, What we're really excited about is the automation process. We only have three people, as I mentioned. So for us, we had to figure out ways in partnership with Greenfly, uh, in partnership with a group called WSC, which um, they, they actually do a lot of automated highlights for us. Uh, We were introduced to them through the NBA, and they've been a game changer for us. They've learned our sport over the past three years, uh, and they are now at the point where they can identify a barrel, an air, a maneuver. Um, It all clips in real time, and it's all aggregated into a a CMS where my team can pull out and create content. Say you want to make a two-minute highlight reel of Kelly Slater's top tens from the past three years then you put that in and it spits out automatically wow. that piece of content. Obviously you need to do a bit of curation on the edit after that point, but to have that ability to pull that content out as quickly as we can um, in real time is is incredible. And you add in the automation layer, which is now Greenfly. The API, uh, uh, there's an API connection that we built between well, the teams at Greenfly and WC had built, where now we can do automated clip, uh, highlight clips to our athletes without actually having to touch anything. Before, my team would actually pull those clips down, download them, and then upload them to Greenfly, which is a, uh, a service that we use to communicate with our athletes, um, content back and forth. Um, now we don't have to do anything. So if Kelly Slater gets a 10-point ride, he will have that in his inbox in Greenfly to download and distribute even before he leaves the water. So yeah. that's been an, – and this has all happened within the past month. Um, it's, uh, it's been really exciting. And now uh, – photo as well. We're also delivering photos too through Webdam. Um, we have an integration with Greenfly and the API too. So, you know, giving our athletes the ability to post that content through their channels and then extend that reach. We have about 12 and a half million followers in our social channels um, on the WSL. Our athletes have last count, I believe it's 30 to 35 million followers across their their, wow. their, work, their ecosystem. So it's in our best interest to be getting the content in their hands. If you're a fan of uh, John John Florence, or if you're a fan of Gabriel Medina, you know, those seven plus million people, actually I think it's 8 million today, that are wow. fans of Gabriel, Gabriel Medina, those people are fans of Gabe. So you want to, of Gabby, you want to make sure that you're giving that content to that audience to help promote the league. So um, we've taken a lot of lessons from the NBA and others on, on being, um, I think, really liberal and really uh, intentional about how we distribute our rights specifically to our athletes. I fundamentally believe that the athlete who gets a 10-point ride or a six-point ride, they own that wave. They should, they should be able to distribute that content to their audience and help generate more interest for the sport. So um, we have an automation layer, which is which is amazing. And then outside of that, I think it's what we're discovering now is that you just really need to be as fast as you possibly can, but also add context. Mm-hmm. So we we're pretty quick using these these tools. You know, within you know a minute or so, we can have the content out on our channels. Um, we like to be fast just because it's relevant. That said, because if you don't get it up quickly. You know there's other groups that will go and you know your athletes will actually take the video off the off the screen or whatever and you know it goes live we want to be the point of authority and make sure that we're out there first with that information um and then secondly is personality. I really think that what we're doing, some of the best performing content on our channels is really that stuff that happens where you don't expect it and making mm-hmm. sure that our team is trained to watch the content. Um, our days are long. We have about eight to 10 hour event days. So you have to watch everything. And usually an event takes about three to four days to run. So there's a lot of surfing that's happening. So what is our team looking for when they're watching this content? Are they... They see that one moment, did did one of our athletes photobomb the, the, the commentator booth? Like those are the things that uh that really help develop personality and I think are super important. The other thing we invested in is making sure that we have someone who um who has really good access with the athlete athletes. Our team's great and they have incredible relationships, but we also hired someone that, um, that does travel who can really get that unprecedented access outside of just the competition. So someone who, who can travel with Kelly or Felipe or Toledo and be in those moments where, you know, they might be, you know, kind of talking back and forth, you know, or, you know, they might have something to say that's off the record or, you know, um, in, in the background. Having that access is really important um, and then using our channels to amplify, but we're increasingly finding and this is not new, but we're we're catching up that our athletes channels are 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 extremely important, and we need to be supporting them as much as we possibly can and they're savvy like they, they get it Instagram is the place where our athletes communicate the most, so we know that we, we want to service
2: that um, as a league and ensure that they have the content to help tell their story that's uh that's amazing that was a it was a great like in depth um response to that uh we had we actually have another question that was that's pretty good that came in from um haley and um it was kind of more so about with uh tourism uh partnerships so like you're going to all these various you know event locations it's in hawaii there's something in new york um is the tourism like partnerships that similar to like something that like cycling would do um or uh let's see all new seasons or like how is that structured where you're working with the tourism boards directly to kind of like bring the show there or like how's that relationship yeah so we have uh through our regional offices we have
0: invested recently in um really ramping up our our regional support so our main headquarters is here in santa monica but we are an international organization we have an office in sao paulo brazil we have an office in australia on the gold coast which Has quite possibly the best view of any office I I think I've ever been in, which is looking out right over one of the best breaks in in all of uh, surf breaks in all of Australia. Um, We have an office in France. We have um, some some people in Japan, and we're trying to build that up as well. So we're truly international. And I think that the the value that our regional offices bring and the regional GMS is those relationships with those tourism boards and those local partners because surfing really does um it's an aspirational sport travel is a really important thing so you look at my own behavior or any surfer's behavior you know you're more likely to go and travel airbnb actually pulled some some stats and said i think it was second to food travel surfing is actually the second most uh what people actually travel for which is an incredible stat to hear from someone um someone that size say that there's actually there's value here so We work really closely with our tourism partners um, to ensure that, you know, we're getting the message across. They do they work with us directly on these events. Um, They have, you know, title partnerships. um, They have uh, access to our athletes. They have, you know, there's a number of ways we structure these deals. But it it is really important that we decentralize a lot of these conversations and let our regional offices um, and the regional managers really lean in and develop those relationships because, the one thing that I think is really important about surfing is that we never want to go to a place um, and then not leave it better than we found it. I think that, you know, when you do come into town and this, this circus rolls in, you have, you know, 100 athletes and you have, you know, their support teams and you have our crew. And, and that's really great. Um, that said, you want to make sure that you're also you know, ensuring that conversation happens and that dialogue sticks around. So that we're not just coming there and leaving and then you know, mm-hmm. okay, great. So I think that there's a there's a there's definitely a massive blast of promotion and press that happens around these events uh, for our tourism partners and for the regions themselves. But what actually, what happens next? Um that dialogue continues because we have uh, we're investing in making sure that these Uh, these offices have the resources that they need to help, you know, develop this long-term presence in these locations. Um, We have an office in Hawaii too. That's an incredibly important region for us um, and place for us because surfing, um, surfing is core to the culture. So we want to make sure that having that presence and having that, that consistent dialogue is, uh, is something that we we take seriously.
2: That's amazing. Um, Another question from actually like the scoring of these competitions, like, um, there's so many different variables with, like, weather, the wave size, all that. How do you um, – and, like, by the end of the season, you guys are ranking them throughout the whole the whole time. How do you – what's, like, the scoring breakdown? Like, how do you – is there there are judges that are analyzing the size of the wave and then all, all these other factors? Like, how does – since there's just so many variables with, like – Mother Nature putting out this wave. How do you guys like face that?
0: Yeah, so we have judges who are on site at every event, and those judges are, are a group of individuals that represent different nationalities, different locations, and what they're trying to do. And there's there's a head judge. Um, his name is Pratamo, and what he does is he's there on site, making sure that the judging criteria is going to change on a daily basis. But what we do um, is work with the tours and competitions office which is usually um, represented by Jesse Miley-Dyer, uh, Travis Logie on the qualification series side, or um, Pat O'Connell. And to really say, you know, what is going, and Renato Hickel as well, um, what is going to be the criteria for how we're judging the event today? And those changes can, can those conditions can change in real time. We have um, typically at an event, on some days we'll go on hold. We'll, we'll run the event, the tide will change, in France, it's actually, it's incredibly challenging. The tide swings are like 12, 20 feet. So, you know, during the middle of the day, there just may not be a good tide to run that, The wave might just disappear. So we have to be constantly evolving and ensuring that we're communicating with our athletes, what the judging criteria is. WhatsApp has been really important for this. So communicating with the athletes so that they know when they show up, what are we looking for today? Um, and the, the the judges that we have are, are incredible. They have years and years of experience they're incredible surfers in their own right. Um, and they're, they're able to go and look at the conditions and look, it is a subjective sport. Um, we drop the highest and lowest score. Um, so, you know, it averages out and, you know, 10 being the highest score, uh, you know, zero being the lowest, um, you don't see too many zeros, I guess, unless much you would fall. Um, but even then you'd probably get a fraction of a point. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging and they have a really hard job. Um, but they're experts in each of those locations and, The other thing we do, too, is we actually work with some local directors. So in places that are particularly challenging, bringing in some outside help that knows the break or location super well, uh, we have done that in the past and we will continue to do so. There's no substitute for local knowledge in our sport. Um, And... The other thing we do do is we work really closely with Surfline. So Surfline is a forecasting partner. Uh, They have their own website, surfline.com. They have an incredible app. And they don't just do surfing. They also do fishing. So weather reports for fishing as well. So if you're a fisher out there, definitely not just one thing. Um, but they provide us up-to-date, real-time information um, on what's happening with the forecast. So we know pretty well within a couple days what's gonna happen, but there's local wind conditions that can completely change it. So from a judging perspective, it's challenging, but I think it's just communication and ensuring that based on what the waves are doing right now, that day, they're,
2: uh, they're being proactive. Mm-hmm. That's, you know? uh, that's interesting. Um, so I kind of want to like uh, talk about some of the innovative projects that you guys are working on to like help grow the community, grow the sport. I think when we were when we first met, it was uh, at the uh, Instagram and Facebook Athlete Summit. I think we were talking about like one of the surf branches that I think Kelly Slater is starting up, and some other athlete um, surfers are getting part of. But are there any special projects that have like kind of caught your attention that are really innovative? Whether it's like a surf ranch or other ways to help grow the sport, that's kind of like uh, either fairly new or or something that's made a lot of traction.
0: Yeah, I think the I think it's a really exciting time to be involved with surfing. You know, I, I came from a media background. I came from William Morris Endeavor, um, and I also worked at a social agency. So I didn't necessarily you know grow up working in the surf industry per se. So having seen the evolution of the sport for the past seven years, I can honestly say that this is, this is the most exciting time I've ever seen because of a few reasons. One is uh, the Olympics, massive opportunity for us to be on the world stage and, and showcase the beauty and, uh, and aspirational nature of our sport and the competitive nature too. Number two is that wave systems across the board and across the globe, um, the democratization of the sport is just amazing. So no longer in the future or even now, well you need to be necessarily born on the east on the coast, um, you know born you know with the ability to um, go to the beach every single day, the actual ocean, and you know in the future we could see some incredible athletes develop in places you'd never expect. I think mean, that's a really cool thing is that the democratization of the sport through uh, through wave systems um and and you know, the one Kelly Slater and you know we now own is the WSL up in Lemoore, um, and the ones we're gonna be developing across the globe, it's an incredible opportunity to get repetition and practice and really take the the you know the the challenge of our sport is that you no wave the same and actually you know you know repeat the same maneuvers over and over and over again. I have a theory and and I don't know if I'll be blasted for this, but switch dance surfing, which is you know, uh in our world you're either goofy or regular. Um, you either you know, face the front of the wave or the back of the wave, depending on which direction you're going, um, You know, switch dance surfing will be ubiquitous in the future because of wave systems. And that's a really cool thing because the progression that's gonna come out of this, this new era um, will allow for performances to be unlike anything we've ever seen. Like snowboarding and skate have the advantage where that skate ramp or that ramp is going to be there tomorrow. Most likely it's gonna be there tomorrow. So you can go and do the same thing in practice. We've never had that before, and now we do. So it's it's a really cool time. And another piece of it is, um, you know, the democrat is sorry, the the you know niche meteorites becoming more and more important. Um, you know, we have a you know we have a really engaged, loyal audience who watches our contests on a, on a consistent basis. You know that that's a really cool thing. So you can start to combine this you know ability for us to get our content directly to our consumers. The world stage with the olympics and then you add in this democratization of surfing as a sport and you have this confluence of of um of a moment where it's just it's incredibly exciting and then you have the performance of our athletes on this championship to championship uh, level just getting better and better and better some of the stuff they're doing now um is, is amazing and they're being pushed by the people who aren't competing so the the free surfers of our world you know we have this uh incredible ecosystem so i'm really excited by just the overall picture but i'm also really excited about the content that we're 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 pursuing right now because i think for us if we can really get to a place where we're telling stories uh, about humanity through the lens of surfing And not just surfing stories with humanity. There is a huge opportunity for us to break out um, as a league and as a sport to really get to the core of what matters. And, and, you know, surfing is a transformational spiritual. If you want to, you know, go there, it's, it's empowering. It, you know, you have this moment with nature and, you know, even with wave systems, you know the performance level. You know, it may not be in nature, but it's still allowing you to get that that same feeling. It's um, it's a really incredible thing. I think bottling that um has been really hard. I don't think we're going to be able to bottle it. But what I think we can do is actually extract these threads and start to pull on them and figure out. You know, what is it about surfing that um that does capture the imagination? You know, surfing was the most popular sport at one time in America. There was a in uh, the 1960s like the wow. Beach Boys. Like, think about what actually that moment was. Like, you think about pop culture. Like, there was this moment when surfing actually influenced a lot of pop culture in our country. There's no there's no reason to say that that couldn't happen again. Um, I just think we need to be, you know, preparing ourselves and doing as much as we can on our side and working with all of our incredible partners to help really amplify these stories and individuals. Because, you know, I think there's, there's just this... Uh, there's this really special moment right now, and we have such an incredible uh, roster of athletes that, um, yeah, I'm just generally excited. And on the technology side, um, about innovation, I know, you know, this is, it's also becoming easier and easier for us to just get our content to to the consumer. And that, for me, is, um, like I mentioned with Greenfly and, and WSC, um, the idea that we can streamline our processes and we can look at. Uh, partnerships with platforms like Instagram and Facebook and help to develop a like a robust ecosystem around our athletes or around our sport where we're not just saying hey here's a piece of content take a look at it what's the consumer journey around that story that that's that's incredible too and it's be uh it's becoming it's becoming more and more fun with platforms like TikTok like i like we're we're growing i think pound for pound at this point right now it might be our most engaged platform like post for post um and that just speaks to once again that surfing isn't necessarily one thing. there is an opportunity for us to engage an audience outside of just highlight clips from our competition and um, not to say that it's a just it's just an opportunity for us to expand our our content offering and yeah, it's a really cool time right now. so yeah I'm uh, not specific you know I'm not specifically saying like one or two things. I think it's just a really m- amazing moment. That's cool.
2: Um, another question would be sort of like, for example, on this live stream, most people at least that tune in the live stream um, on LinkedIn are like North America based or, you know, in the U.S. We actually have someone from Argentina, someone from Nigeria. Um, kind of tuning into this as well. Where are there any certain markets that um, globally that you think are like the most emerging or the most interesting opportunity to kind of grow the community, or at least from the past five years, or something that you you see going forward in the next five years, like certain area or certain part of the world that has like caught a lot of attention with like growing the sport?
0: Yeah, uh, Brazil.
2: Um, Brazil,
0: there's there's a lot of opportunity across the globe, especially in coastal um, nations that have coasts. You know, I I fully believe that we're going to be seeing um, athletes develop in locations like I said. You you may have never thought that an athlete would come from India has a ton of coastline. There's some incredible waves in India, so we're really interested in exploring that as an opportunity. But in the past five years, and in in the future, um, you know, the next six to six to ten months, um, Brazil is a massive opportunity for us. Um, you know. Not to say that we won't engage with them past six to 10 months, but we're investing heavily in uh, our office and infrastructure in Brazil. We just brought on a new GM, uh, Ivan, who is out of our office in Sao Paulo. Um, One of my team members, Felipe, um, he just moved back to Brazil. Uh, He was with me here at HQ for like four years. um, And he just took an opportunity to go down to Brazil to help grow their social channels. So we're relaunching uh, WSL Brazil, um, you know, it's a huge opportunity for us to be creating content for the consumer in the market in language. So it's um, what happened is is that Brazil has always been, you know, competitive in the space. But right around 2014, Gabriel Medina, um, the first Brazilian to win a world champion, really caught the attention of, of the of the community, and he became a celebrity overnight by winning in Brazil. Like he is. He's, you know, he's hanging out with Neymar, he's doing, and he's an incredible athlete and ambassador for our sport. And then you've had succession of, of, uh, of more world titles being won by Brazilians. So as a result, it's, um, it's becoming, and it is a really important um, opportunity for us to do more for, for the, the audience in Brazil. Um, and I think investing in the platform and investing in Portuguese language content, investing in our office in Brazil is, uh, is the right step. And then also identifying, you know, new opportunities like Asia, Ch- China is investing heavily right now in uh, developing their Olympic surf team. Um, you know, that that's a huge market and ton of coastline there as well. So, you know, looking at these places where there's interest, there's opportunity to go and actually get in the ocean. And then ultimately, you know, who, you know, how can we as a league start to develop these grassroots programs in these places or or support in any way we can what's happening. So... It's a, it's a really exciting time, and I think you know access to boards is one thing that that's really important. Um, you know, in in Brazil, you know, there's so much coastline and there's so much talent. There's so many stories of our athletes. Adriana D'Souza, who's also a world champion for us, um, he won a world champion uh, a few years ago. He his first surfboard was a seven dollar board that was bought by his brother, and that changed his entire life. Right. So just access to that that piece of equipment changed the course of his of his existence. So. I think um, I think access to, to equipment is something that you know you'll start to hear more and more about um, and boards can be expensive so we need to make sure that we're you know figuring out ways that we can get you know boards um, in the hands of people who are interested um, it's not going to happen overnight but it's something that I think is
2: important for sure nice um so another question that came in we kind of briefly touched on it but um, what's kind of strategy do we we were talking about coastal cities it's kind of more accessible but non-coastal cities or any other ways other than like you said the um, surfing ranches or through content or other ways but like what's kind of the strategy with activating non-coastal cities to either make the trip and travel out to like you said Airbnb is like the most heavily traveled or, or what's the kind of strategy to help people that aren't on Coastal Cities really get interact with the sport? Well, I wouldn't say
0: that we necessarily have a strategy in place right now. I think it's more of trying to identify um, individuals or, or groups that are doing this right now. I heard an incredible story the other day about uh, a group called the East Valley Board Riders Club. I might might be getting that wrong, but they're traveling 100 miles. Uh, to go to the beach and and they were sharing one board between the entire team. Like that's an incredible story of commitment and passion for something that, you know, that access is, is really challenging. So what we're trying to do um, on our side is start to identify and amplify the stories around this. So the content series that um, I and a few others executive produced at this, at this company is um, the intention was to a- ask a question or answer a question rather, how does surfing change Lives and cultures. Like that, that was our our central thesis. And through that, we discovered that there's a lot of through line through that and and how surfing does, but ultimately access and empowerment and getting in the ocean and being present and being represented is something that is, you know, I think consistent across the board. So what we're really trying to do is amplify the great work of those who are doing this right now. Um, There's a group in South Africa called the Sentinel Ocean Alliance. And what they're doing is taking kids who would otherwise be doing, um, potentially be involved in, you know, things they weren't supposed to be doing, getting them to the beach every week and ensuring that that program's there in partnership with Hurley. So what we're really trying to do is take these stories and amplify it, but not just tell the story. We're also trying to figure out ways that we can have a call to action. So, um, you know, what does that group in South Africa need to be supported? Um, uh, Giovanni Duriso who um, was one of our stories in the last season of Transformed, you know, he was born in Inglewood he had access to surfing through a, a summer program and giovanni met a mentor who took him surfing every day after that program ended and that changed his entire life and the course of of his history and now he's actually giving back by the surf uh, school that he was he uh, he got involved with he refounded with his friends so for us it's about finding these stories and then amplifying it to let people know that you know this this works happening anyway we don't necessarily have to be doing it ourselves in order to help those um, who are doing it out there. So it's um it's a really, it's a really, it's a first step, um, but I think it's, a, it's the right one because we have such a big audience. If we can really help to tell these stories or amplify these stories in some way, um, and we can do some good for these organizations, then then I, I
2: think that we're at least setting the right course. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, so I kind of want to like wrap things up, be curious to your time. This was all like really great insight. Um, kind of two-part question to kind of like wrap things up would be like any kind of advice for somebody trying to like get into a position that you're in where it's like, you know, chief community officer or someone that's like has a strong influence in the sport, any kind of advice on or, on how you got to that position and then kind of wrap it off. Like and what's the like most exciting, what are you like really most looking forward to for the next five years, 10 years future for the World Surf League?
0: Yeah, so uh, what's that saying? Hard work. Preparation. Um, I think that that's extremely seem, extremely apt in my case because I was uh, I was working as a social media um, project manager at an organization and I heard that the ASP slash WSL was coming in um, to meet with us and I put my hand up and said, "Hey, I need to be in that meeting. Like this is extremely important to me personally. I really want to be there." And ultimately, uh, they hired me full time to come over and help. So what I would say is that. Um, when I left William Morris Endeavor, I, I had a, someone say to me a couple things. One was, "You need to do something creative," and I was like, "Okay, that's great advice, thank you." And number two, one of the one of the agents there said, "You are a surfing encyclopedia," which I'm not. I just knew a little bit about surfing, but he was like, "You need to go do something in surf." And at the time, I didn't really have a clear path. Like I said, I didn't work in the surf industry, I didn't know how to do it, and you know, I had to go a different route to end up where I am. And sometimes the universe just unfolds and, and you're there at the right moment to actually take, take that opportunity and run. And I threw everything into this, this, um, the first, you know, iteration of what we try to achieve. And then today, like, you know, you have to live and breathe the brand, you know, ensuring that, you know, I didn't post on my own social media for about four years. Like I didn't really run my own Instagram. I was like, I'm, I need to do this. The WSL is my, going to be my, my, uh, my social media handle. And that's how I approach it every day. And the opportunity I saw was, this is just probably one of the coolest jobs you could have in the world is working in surfing and working at a lead that's investing in content and investing in media. And at this, you know, fledgling um, moment where we have this huge opportunity and we have these incredible ownership group. So really taking the initiative and saying, recognizing the opportunity, but also throwing yourself headfirst into whatever that is. You know, I didn't realize I would be sitting here as, um, as an executive at the company when I started. I didn't even know we would have a new office. When we started, we were on a ping pong table. Like that's how we began. So, you know, now we have, I, was, I think I was employee number seven and, and I, now we have 200 employees across the globe. So wow. to see the growth and see the opportunity and just live and breathe what you do and have passion for it, um i'm extremely lucky that i get to to talk about surfing and the other side of me is that i just i love the media space i love the sports space i love entertainment so having gone to school for film and communications uh worked in the in the entertainment industry and then coming back to a and and being a collegiate athlete and you know having all those things come together um i think i'm just extremely lucky to be here and um yeah. Advice to someone who would be, you know, the path may not always be exactly clear, but what you have to do is just take the next step that you think is right. Um, and then sometimes that will unfold for you is as, as actually going the direction you want it to. You know, I don't think that there's ever a straight line to anything. I think it's always going to zigzag or go backwards or sideways. Um, and, and recognizing that you have you have some control, but not all, is actually really healthy. And, you know, being true to what you want in the end. Um, and also being open to new ideas, because if I wasn't open to a new idea, which was going into what we called new media at the time, which was social, like I was like, that's really interesting. I'm excited about this opportunity. My life would have been completely different. I probably wouldn't be sitting where I am right now. So I think just having that openness and and willingness to try something new um, is uh, is is the right way to approach it. And then in terms of you know what what's exciting. I mentioned the Olympics, which is you know number one for us in terms of what's what's new and and interesting for us and how we're going to be um, applying that to supporting our athletes. But yeah, I think I think the content um, and some of the partnerships we're working on right now and really telling these stories and amplifying it is is something that um, it, it excites me because we are now investing in telling stories that um, I just, you know, may have never been told. And if we as a league can help amplify those and, and really empower these individuals to get their story out, or maybe make someone's day a little bit better through some content we produce, or actually challenge someone's perceptions. Um, I'm really excited about that. And, and under the leadership of Eric Logan, uh, and Sophie, our, our CEO, we're in a really good place to go and achieve that. And it's demonstrated by the partnerships we've already made on the content front. Um, you know, you know, with with the the show at ABC, and then ultimately, um, you know, a few other projects working on, uh, like Box to Box, who produced Drive to Survive. We're out there pitching a show with them right now. Um, that's that's essentially um, Drive to Survive for surfing. Like, it's a really cool project. And if you don't, if you haven't seen Drive to Survive, highly recommend going to watch it. F one and team at Box to Box did an amazing job. It's uh, it's top of the list for for Netflix. Go and watch um yeah if we can go and tell a great story around our sport and introduce it to somebody um who may have never thought about surfing at all in terms of uh the WSL then I think we've done a good job so that that excites me too
2: and yeah there's a there's a lot of opportunity for it that's amazing and um thanks for all that insight I can uh I can plug in the post of this I will plug in like your your guys career pages if anyone else is interested in like getting involved with the the World Surf League but um, all this was great. You had amazing insight. I appreciate your time with all this. And um, we're, we're, we're going to be doing a, an event series in 2020 called the Athlete Platform. So we're going to bring in current former athletes. So we'll definitely uh, circle back around with you. would love to get the... Uh, Sport of surfing involved with what we're doing as well, so love to. Um, yeah, and, and I'll definitely take you out next time in uh, in Los Angeles for uh, a surfing session.
0: <laughs> we'll get you out of board. Uh,
2: well, that that'll, that you know, I can
0: guarantee you. you. know, we'll even bring out one of our pros. I I, I think we'll get we'll bring them right people to teach you so an easy thank you thank Love you so much nick and th- thanks for everybody for watching um thanks for being here
2: appreciate it amazing and um, and we'll take this audio and it's, it's live on linkedin and we'll put it into a podcast so um i'll share all that with you when, when it's done but thanks again you're you're a great great guest thank you nick appreciate it
1: Thank you so much for tuning in this episode of the Sports Biz Pod. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you haven't already, connect with us on all social channels at Sports Biz Group. You can also visit our website, www.sportsbizgroup.com, for amazing resources, events, newsletters, and ways to get an edge in the sports industry. We look forward to continue to unveil new amazing episodes with special guests. Please reach out at any time for any recommendations, ideas, or ways to collaborate please go give us a five-star review and subscribe. Look forward to seeing you next show.